A listener's note. Some episodes of this podcast include discussion of death and other traumatic experiences. Please use discretion when listening and take good care of yourself. According to the 2022 Childhood Bereavement Estimation Model, almost 8% of all children in the United States will experience the death of a parent or sibling by age 18. That's about 5.6 million children who are grieving a significant loss. Laurel Van Auken remembers what life was like before she lost her mom at age eight. I have two older siblings, Michelle and Chris, and then my middle brothers, also older than me, um, Ben. Our relationship growing up was your typical big house relationship. We, we hated each other. We loved each other. I was a baby, so naturally I got most of my mother's attention, and I was my dad's only girl. Chris and Michelle were from a previous relationship that my mom had had, so I was definitely the spoiled one of the group. <laughs> um, but me and Ben, we didn't—we got along. We didn't really have any issues. We were your typical sibling rivalry always happened. Laurel and her siblings were also part of a large extended family. Her mom, Gail, was one of seven kids. I mean, growing up, it was like, I remember all the time asking, when am I gonna see my cousins? When's the next family party? When do we get to go to the hotel party? When's canoe trip? Most of my cousins lived within 15, 20 minutes of each other. So we would see them at least a dozen times a year between holidays random parties. The staple parties, though, were always our hotel party and our canoe trip. That was towards the end of the year, and that was always the funnest, funnest time. Carol Chisholm, Laurel's aunt, explains the idea behind the Weber family's hotel party. We decided that as the moms, that it would be fun for us to get away and get a hotel and take all the kids. And we found this great hotel that had rooms right around the pool. So we put as many people as we could in a room. We're all like young families, not a lot of money. So we, how many adults could sleep in the beds and the kids brought sleeping bags and slept on the floor. And we would check in Friday right after school, usually in a February or March weekend, guaranteed snowstorm. Other people would be, you're driving somewhere for a hotel, there's a snowstorm. And we would get to the hotel and unload food and pool toys and games for in the evening, all this stuff. We brought so much stuff into these hotel rooms <laughs> and just played all weekend. So the moms could sit and gab and sit in the hot tub and the kids, all these cousins who were like brothers and sisters, basically, they had groups like the great grandmothers will come for like Saturday afternoon and sit in a chair around the pool and just watch the kids swim and catch up with each other. So it's Maybe four or five generations? At least, yeah. I would say at least four generations. And when it came to the annual late get-together, Carol's sister Gail was the first one in the boat, rain or shine. Gail loved the canoeing trip. Mm -hmm. She was our diehard. So when you go for a weekend, you never know what the weather's going to be. Like Gail with the weather would be the one who would force us to go. I remember many Sunday mornings, it looking like it's going to rain or it was raining. And we're out like, mm, it's kind of chilly. How about if we just break camp now and pass on Sunday? And she's like, I'm going. I don't care about the rest of you. 
I'm going. I'm taking my family on the river. And so, like, the rest of us be like, well, I guess we have to go. We can't let her go alone. And almost every time, by the time we dipped our paddles in, the sun would come out. And we would say, Gail, what is your magic? Right? (laughs) None of us wanted to go. And if we would be going home right now, we'd be very sad that we missed this day. That, That was her spirit. Every time. Every time. She was the epitome of fun on that weekend. She was a jokester. There was one year where she put crawdads in Eric's tent, your son. That was pretty fun. <laughs> Starting water fights. She was. She loved to be like a prankster, a jokester. And even my sister can contest that. She was obviously the, the target for multiple of her things. Um, she teepeed them one year, teepeed all the tents with toilet paper. <laughs> Gail's spirit and reputation for fun carried over into the many roles she played in her community of Hamilton, Michigan. At different times, she worked as an elementary school paraprofessional, a photographer, and trained as a paramedic. Gail tutored her husband, Rick, when he entered the fire academy and decided to join him as a first responder with the Overizel Township Fire Department. She was on the department and, again, just... Jumped right in, just feet first, just 100%. She taught. She actually started the fire safety programs throughout the elementary schools. So her and my dad kind of teamed up, and they started to teach fire prevention, brought in, like, the smoke trailer for kids to kind of go through. Um, She did all sorts of, like, activities for them. It was once a month. She dedicated her time to that. That was her niche That is what she loved to do. Gail and Rick loved being volunteer firefighters and knew the risks involved. The couple had an agreement not to respond to emergencies in the same vehicle. They made an exception early in the morning of November 2nd, 2000. When they couldn't reach a fellow firefighter, Gail jumped in the tanker truck that Rick was driving to a turkey farm fire. A pickup truck struck the tanker at an intersection, causing it to roll over. Firefighters from other departments came upon the accident and rushed to free the couple from the tanker. Both Rick and Gail went to the hospital by ambulance. Rick survived. Gail did not. Carol's sister, Jean, was the first to hear about the accident. At 3 in the morning, I got a call from Jean that Gail was in an accident, and I'm at the house, and I don't think she's alive, but she didn't have a lot of information at that time. I had three young children at that time and my husband, and I just got up on my own and drove out to Laurel's house. So it's probably like 4 o'clock in the morning I got there, and Rick was hurt in the accident, too, and was at the hospital. Mm -hmm. Um, So we're around your dining room table at 4 in the morning, and very slowly getting information, we knew there was a... Um, an accident with the fire truck. We knew Gail passed away at that time, and Rick was taken to the hospital for he his face was very injured, his ear inside of his face. He had had trauma. And then I don't think we got a lot of information. All of us gathered at the house as usual. Like so, all my sisters were there. Um, husband started to come. Um, you and Ben woke up thinking you were going to school that day and all of the family is sitting around the table, right? Mm -hmm. Somebody had to drive down to the university that Michelle was at, Western Michigan University, and pick her up Mm -hmm. and bring her back. And so Michelle is the one who told you and Ben, right? She told Ben. My vision of that morning is pretty much that. I, I remember 
I heard voices coming from downstairs. I I was a little confused because my first train of thought was, what family party am I missing? Like, is this a weekend? Like, do I not get to go to school? Like, what's... So my thought process is off. And I remember coming down the stairs and seeing... Specifically, my Aunt Jean was sitting down with a this little TV with the news playing. And I, I see everybody. Aunt Carol, Aunt Marge, Aunt Mary Jo, like everybody is there. It takes me a second, but I, I, I finally get that something's wrong. I see eyes are bloodshot and swollen and tears. And my Aunt Jean kind of like pulls me onto her lap, gives me a hug like I've never been hugged before. I mean, I was only eight years old. So to to feel that was, what's wrong? Like our plates still had our vitamins on it. My mom was very structured. So she had our plates with set out on the kitchen table with our vitamins on them, our clothes picked out. She had it all ready to go, so I didn't understand why I was getting told to go back to bed. And then my Aunt Jean did tell me that your your mom is gone, and I, the last thing I remember is running up the stairs. And my memory at that point is kind of black. I don't... I don't really have a lot after that. Up until the actual funeral, um, then there's like tidbits. I, You know, it's kind of hard to decipher what memories are mine and what memories were told to me. Um, but when Michelle got home, Ben, my brother, he was still sleeping. And my sister ended up being the one that told Ben. For my sister to step into that role was was very hard for her. I think that triggered that triggered that that motion where she has to she has to step up. These are my little brother and sister and I have to do this. I have to step up and I have to be the one to tell them. Yeah. And you as, know, as being the adults and knowing like these kids are going to wake up this morning and their world is changed forever. And do you go wake up sleeping babies, basically, and say, hey, get some news, your mom died, right? Or knowing, like, when they wake up, that's what they're going to hear. Really, really tough decision, right? Like, nobody wanted to tell that information. Nobody no. wanted to see your little faces. Nobody wanted to believe that was real. Mm-hmm. We were all in shock, right? Like, and and it's Gail and Rick's home. It's Gail and Rick's children, Right. But neither of them were there to do any part of what needed to happen that morning. And um, and it is really wonderful how close our family is that we could all just be there and just support each other. I think that was helpful for me and my sisters and my younger brother to just all be together. Carol and her siblings worked together to support Gail's children, especially since Rick was recovering from his own injuries. I knew my dad was out of sorts. He was in the hospital for a while. Mm-hmm. So having him come home was was a big deal. Your dad still struggles with this. He was driving the vehicle. 
and he took a lot of that on very personally to him. And and like you're saying, accidents happen. Like we talk about the other vehicle that hit the fire truck. If that guy would have knelt down and tied his shoe and been two seconds later, right? Like it was an accident. But your dad came home injured. His wife was dead. He was an instant widow. He felt responsible for the accident. Your dad was just not able to be available to his family for quite a while. Yeah. Understandably. Got that. (laughs) The trauma hit him very hard, emotionally, mentally, and physically. Even to this day, there's there's still some things we don't talk about just because it, it hits a trigger for him. Grief specialist Jenny Woodall has this to say. I think ideally you want to support the surviving parent to continue to parent and take care of themselves while they're taking care of the children with the knowledge that they don't have to do that alone. They don't have to figure everything out. They do have people who they can rely on to help shoulder that. Laurel's older sister, Michelle, left school and moved home to help care for her younger brother and sister. These circumstances were painfully familiar to Carol. I was 20 when my mom died, so Gail was 16, Jean was 14, Marge was 12, and Gary was four years old, and my older sister was 22 and married um, and pregnant when my mom died. My dad went into a depression, too, so here we were, all these kids without a mom and a dad who checked out, and so to go through this again was just like... Children shouldn't grow up without their parents, right? Like there's these little kids that need to have help with homework and baths and pack their lunch and all those things they need. And here we have another generation where this isn't happening for these eight and nine-year-old kids, right? We tried to respect Rick like very much in terms of like, Rick, what do you want? We did a lot of talking with him. He, he as well was very comfortable with All of our kids spent the night at anybody's house. Any family party ended up with who was going home with who, right? So nobody ever went back to their own house after a family party. So Rick was, I think, comfortable with that too. So very willing, like, yes, the kids can get off the bus at Aunt Jean's and they can spend the weekend at Jean's. They can come up to Aunt Carol and Uncle Brian's for the weekend. They can be at Aunt Marge and Uncle Pat's for the weekend, right? Like, Mm -hmm. but trying to respect Rick with that as the father— and also hoping he would get better and would step up and be able to parent his children again. He did what he needed to do. He was a good dad. But there were still a lot of things that he laxed on. Ben and I didn't have responsibilities anymore. We could go do whatever we wanted. And my sister kind of knew that was happening, and she kind of she she stepped into that surrogate mother role and was— no, you need to clean up after yourself. You need to take care of your laundry. You need to do this. You need to do that. And basic life skills that I can literally applaud her for. Because without her coming home and teaching those things, I probably wouldn't know how to run a dishwasher. <laughs> and I think that's part of the complication, too, is that, like, Michelle was picking up that role. I know I picked up that role. And you're not the mom. And the just that dynamic, just like, you're not my mom, and you can't replace my mom. And we're like, I lost my mom too, right? Like, I don't want to be the mom. 
but you're a little kid and you can't go to school stinking and right, with dirty <laughs> hair and the same clothes four days in a row, right? Like, I don't want to be your mom, but somebody has to be in charge here. So all that grief just gets more complicated with just the layers and layers of loss that the, the 10-year-old's dealing with and the 20-year-old's dealing with. We lost our mom, yeah. right? Yeah. Just like how, you know, he, Aunt Carol, your family went through all of that. Like, you guys had to step up and take care of each other. I think she felt that that was her role to take, too. It's awful that we have that trauma. I hate that we have that generational similarity there. But I think it's brought us so much closer as a family. I think we all appreciate life a lot more and respect life a lot more. And we know how to take care of each other when bad things happen. It's a skill we don't want, but we have. One of the ways in which Gail's family has celebrated her life is by attending events hosted by the National Fallen Firefighters Foundation. The National Fallen Firefighters does the memorial um, celebration every fall October out in Maryland. So somebody from that foundation reached out to probably Rick and let us know that the family was invited to attend that. We felt very honored to be invited to that. We knew Gail's life would be celebrated at that event, as our family does. Probably 20 or 25 of us made that trek out to Maryland, from Michigan to Maryland, and we were so impressed with how organized that was, how much Gail was honored, how everybody in our family was was cared about and tended to. There were events for Ben and Laurel to go as little kids. There were groups that us as siblings attended. There was a group that Rick went as a spouse. And we were so impressed that we decided we were going to continue to do this as much as we could. Here's Director of Family Programs, Bev Donlin. When I first started with the foundation, the Memorial Weekend um, was really the only opportunity the families had to gather, to be together. We have so many opportunities now to connect those families face-to-face. It's, it's all about the time that they have together with somebody who's experienced and kind of walk that path that they've walked. It, it, it's a miracle of the healing that it can really do. We went to a retreat in Chicago. Mm-hmm. We just had a very great time at that, just felt very cared for. And with the emphasis that it was a place we could go talk with other people who lost somebody in their family. In particular, these were all firefighters that passed away. We've just been very impressed with the foundation and all that they've offered in terms of support, information, genuine caring. Like you had said, that adult, all the adult cousins or younger cousins, they all went in one group. All you siblings went in another. Like, no one was left behind. I respect that and appreciate that because these the foundation has always been beautiful like that. Like when we went to the Chicago Wellness, like I was one of the younger people that was there. To this day, like my sister still talks to one of the women that she met there. Like you don't lose these connections. They do a great job at mingling and setting these people up with the right people. I love the foundation and what they continue to do for children, for all aspects of life. I mean, every walk of life you can think of. They've either got a program for it, a conference for it, or some sort of outreach program. They have they have their hand on everything, and it's, it's awesome. 
We offer many ways to connect families and provide opportunities for them to talk with somebody else who has lost a firefighter. We host a wellness conference, camp for children, retreats based on relationships, and there's a spouses and life partners retreat, siblings retreat, the young adults retreat, and now the men's retreat. It's hard to put it into words, but when you're at one of those events and you see a new family member come in and how quickly the other family members just come in and take that person under their wing and before you know it, they're right in there. They get them laughing again, smiling again, getting happy. It's not all about sadness, you know. There is that. Um, the emotions are running high, but putting these families together is so therapeutic for them. I don't think the outside world realizes that, what those connections mean, what that can do for somebody's healing process. Laurel, her sister Michelle, and their older brother Chris have a new appreciation for the foundation because they are now working in the fire service. Like, I grew up around fire trucks. I grew up in the fire station. There were a couple of calls that I went on that I probably shouldn't have gone on as a child. And honestly, though, it triggered a passion. There was just something there that I wanted to be like my dad. I wanted to—he was the first person I would see. Um, There was a wildfire in one of our woods. Seeing him get in his gear— riding on the back of our our Jeep and watching him pull the booster line, putting out fire, it was a beautiful thing for me. I wanted to have that in my life one way or another. I applied at Saugatuck Township Fire District. The hiring process was just easy, and I think like that is that is what I want to do with the rest of my life. My sister followed suit a couple years later. She joined Overisel Fire Department, which is— the department my parents were on. And then my oldest brother, Chris, actually joined Ganges Township. Just we're all within, I mean, it's called mutual aid response. So as a department, we would be able to respond to the same calls. And it was whenever I got to see my brother and my sister on a call, it was like, no, I'm going to cry. <laughs> but it was, it was pretty awesome. To, to be able to say that I get to carry that on. But, yeah, I think, and to this day, her and I are actually in the same department now. I see her every Thursday when I respond to my duty night, and we, it's just a great thing. It's, it's a, it's an amazing thing that it's it's we're we're able to keep that legacy going and keep that keep her memory alive in that aspect. She was she was a doer and she did what she could for her community and I'm honored that I get to do that with my sister and my brother. I've tried to live live in her light tried to do my own thing. I've tried to be independent, but through all the stories that I've heard and even the not so good stories, even the ones where I know she's a rebel and she was she was a very independent person. She had her own pizzazz about her. I I definitely tried to ask that question, what would mom do? You know? Like I didn't get to know her like my my sister did or my brother did. So having them kind of 
teach me what she did for the community and then who she was has given me pretty good footstones for what I need to be like as a human being, just just a decent human being. Carol wrote about one of those special canoeing trips in an essay entitled Gail's Rock. You can find the essay online in an issue of the Foundation's newsletter, The Journey. On the next episode of Grief in Progress, we'll introduce you to Jessica Seberg, a woman who found sisterhood and other opportunities to serve when she started volunteering with the Foundation. Thank you for listening to the Grief in Progress podcast, a production of the National Fallen Firefighters Foundation. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider subscribing and leaving a positive review. For transcripts and other episode extras, visit griefinprogress.com. To learn more about the National Fallen Firefighters Foundation, visit firehero.org.